Welcome to the Six Fingered Movie Show, episode 16. This is the podcast where two friends watch a movie and then discuss it, letting the conversation go where it wants. At the end of the show, we'll pick what movie we're going to watch next, so you can watch it with us between shows and be ready for the discussion. I'm Kyle Albert, and I'm joined by Jack Dagger, world champion knife thrower, the man who is known in L.A. as the Cadillac of the knife throwers. Jack, welcome. Hey. <laughs> it's been I'm a, a while. It has been a while. You know, Cadillacs these days take a while to get where they're going. It's true. And, you know, people in L.A. are notoriously flaky and difficult to organize or to get to commit to anything. <laughs> well, you know, like, a, like a schedule. No, no, you, you cannot uh, you cannot take all the blame for this because it was certainly my schedule, too, that uh, contributed to our our lengthy delay. And we were just talking about it a, a few minutes ago before we got started that it's been like seven or eight weeks since we did yeah. uh, the Fight Club episode. Yeah, well, homie's got to work. You know what I, I'm saying? I know. I know. We've both been super busy. And so yeah. we we uh, apologize for everyone who was uh, anxiously awaiting the Empire of the Sun episode, just thinking, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear them talk about this movie. And then you had to wait for like eight weeks or something. So Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just eight weeks. It's not like the end of the world, guys. So don't make a big deal about it. <laughs> don't. Yeah. I mean, we're, yes, we're, we are apologizing, but like, let's not. You know, yeah, well, I, yeah, it's not like we, uh, you know, killed somebody or something. I mean, it's, and it's, uh, it's not like we punched your cat. No, or punched your cat. It, yeah, no, it, but, but, you know, we, we, uh, we were originally, you know, we try, we wanted to try to do these every two weeks and, uh, ah, just, you had a lot of gigs going on and, and, uh, you had all kinds of stuff happening and I had stuff. Ha- I mean, our kid, we we're transitioning with our kids to homeschooling and it just was, there was a lot. There was a lot going on for both of us, and and uh, I think you were. Did you travel any during the last? I can't remember if you were traveling or you just had a lot of a lot of gigs going on. A lot of gigs, constant, constantly on the road between here and uh, Cabazon. Oh yeah, uh, which is just a, a one freeway exit town in Nowheresville, California, in the desert. Um, <laughs> it's where Morongo Casino is, um, which I always found interesting because it's spelled. Morongo, M-O-R-O-N-G-O, which if you look at the word carefully, it's moron go. <laughs> go. It's, where, it's, it's where the morons go. Mm-hmm. It's the middle of the desert uh, Indian casino where the ill-fated wind up, spend all their money and can't leave. And uh, I got to go there uh, and, and uh, be the front man for um, a sign show slash game show where they give out a whole lot of money to the people that came or won tickets to see the show uh, in these game show type events uh, and then introduce the sideshow acts that were interspersed in the show. And, and originally the, the deal was, hey, come in and uh, we'll bring you in a couple of weekends and do your knife throwing act as one of the four acts of the evening. And halfway through the concert, uh, I'm sorry, the, com- the conversation, it was it turned into, well, why don't I just run it? And MC the whole thing, and, and then the uh, the lady on the other end of the conversation on the phone was just like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> you convinced her, yeah." And it was just that easy, and I was like, "Well, that that was easy," and I didn't think. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure how that happened. It just kind of, you know, because the way it was going and the way the conversation was happening, I understood what she wanted to do, but it didn't seem like she had anyone to do it. And there was some him and hawing. I was like, "Well, why don't I just do it?" And then she says, well, I, I, "Okay." I like you. Great. I like 
you seem like a nice person. I like the sound of your voice. I like your attitude. Why don't you come in? And then like a week and a half later, I didn't hear back from her yet. So I didn't know if it was actually happening. But I heard from my my partner in crime of many years, George the Giant, who was on uh, the movie Big Fish. Um, yeah. Tim Burton. He was the original giant in the circus uh, Goliath who gets displaced by Ewan McGregor's giant that he brings in. And um, uh, he told me it it was a done deal, but I hadn't heard from the big boss lady yet until the night before the gig started. And then she calls and says, yeah, it's a done deal. So, I mean, the next morning I'm driving up, you know, and that was it. And that started the the whole gig where I was the head MC host of the show. Yeah. Kept me, kept me very, very busy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, and, and honestly, uh, you and I've uh, talked about it. I, I, we, we both, uh, have a lot of craziness in our schedules right now. So, uh, there absolutely may, you know, maybe, um, some, some pauses like this where we, we don't put out a show for a few weeks. So, um, but everyone should, you know, just stay subscribed, uh, check in with us on Facebook, you know, we'll post stuff there. We'll post updates and, uh, we'll try to do shows as often as we can. And, um, you know, we'll just, we'll just kind of see how it goes, but, uh, yeah, it's not the end of the world. If we don't do a, a podcast, uh, you know, in four or five weeks that it's every couple of weeks, you know, sure. a few weeks go by and we haven't had a new podcast. I mean, it, um, it might be the, longer. It might be the end of the world, but it, but not probably because we're not doing the show. It, no, just only because that uh, might be unrelated. No, the only reason it's the end of the world is because most everything that's happening right now is directly related to revelations. <laughs> yes, well, right. <laughs> As we heard in the Ghostbusters episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, ran- the randomly selected that they didn't even bother to yeah, look up. that's right. <laughs> so <laughs> the chapter verse of uh, yeah, yeah. revelations. So, okay, well, let's a uh, let's couple follow-up items from the last episode. So, first of all... Um, uh, if you haven't heard the show before, we like to have a, a trivia question uh, during the show, and if uh, if you can send us the correct answer, uh, we have a cool uh, knife from Cold Steel Knives that you'll get that uh, that Jack actually will engrave on the blade. And uh, the winner from the last episode's contest was Samantha Campbell. She submitted the correct answer on uh, the Facebook page, and so. She got a cool kudu knife. Um, yes. So we'll we'll do that again this episode. You'll have to pay attention. Uh, you don't know when that question is going to come in. So you can't like skip ahead and get to the end and find it. Nope. You're going to have to listen to the whole show. That's right. So uh, and then uh, also I wanted to mention that um, we've said uh, on I think every episode we've said that uh, if you if you could help us uh, cover our costs to do the show, you could go to our uh, Patreon page at patreon.com slash six fingered movie show. And um, since our last episode, two people have donated money to us uh, there to help us uh, cover our expenses, which is super awesome. So the two wonderful, wonderful people who did that are Brett Copes and our uh, very old friend Clint Grimion, who uh, we grew up with in Baton Rouge. That's right. So huge shout out to them and uh, and a thank you. And that's, uh, I mean, that's just awesome. They they rock. Major, major thank you to the globe trotting Brett Copes. And major thank you to uh, the uh, Louisiana trodden Clint Grimion. I guess I can't can't wait really to call him globe trotting. 
well, he, anymore. Well, he did. He was in the I, Navy, so he, he probably went all over the dang place. I mean, su- sub aquatic. Yeah, uh, that's right. Traveler. He was underwater the whole time. But I mean, you know, yeah, he was a I sonar. They, they came up technician. sometimes, but occasionally. But even then, they were forced to wear um, what looked like gills on the outside. You know, those <laughs> those weird looking lizards that have those gills on the outside that nobody wants to look at. Uh huh. Yeah. Most of the 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 Navy recruits for the first 15 years of their service they're forced to wear those gills when they're I, above water I, I did not know that that is well, interesting. only the only submarine crew oh oh only the submarine crew yeah just the submarine crew that was and in then, das boat i think was um, yeah it was mm-hmm. it was the special edition they, they the special put edition that, yeah they put that back in right um, right it was the director's cut mm-hmm. because the original theatrical release they're like come on we can't show the secret <laughs> well yeah that's special, special Alarm! Stuff. Yeah. Sorry, that's the only thing I remember from Dust Boat. And then, oh my God, we're deep and things are cracking. Yeah, we're, we're going to die. But, we're all going to die. In, but in German, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this noise. <laughs> weird noises that just make you terrified. Weird noises. Yeah. Well, let's jump into our movie uh, this time, which, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the show, uh, for this episode, we watched Empire of the Sun from 1987. That's right. Glorious 1987. Man, a lot of stuff happened in 1987. Uh, That's what I was, uh, one of the things I was doing earlier today was I was just trying to get some context. I was looking at uh, some of the other big things that that happened in 1987. But um, let's see. So, Like like Predator? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was, oh my (laughs) gosh, there were so many good movies in 1987. Um, Yep. uh, But. This one, uh, this one was one that uh, that that had a huge impact on me. Um, and let's see. So we, let's see. I was born in seventy three. So I always have to do this math because I can never remember. You just give me a year, and I'm like, I don't know how old I was in nineteen eighty. Yeah, <laughs> we were born the same year, but at the opposite ends. Opposite of ends, the, right? Of the year. You were born in the very beginning. I was born at the very end of the year. So right. And this came out. Uh, this came out near your birthday. This came out in December. Of, oh, it did. Yes, in fact, okay. it came out December twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven. Oh, that's on on Jeebus's day. It's very close to your birthday. Yeah, and and very close to the end of the year. I mean, they really waited. Uh, yeah, they they waited for uh, our Lord's birthday to. And I don't <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but that, I don't. For some reason, they they did well so it, it says here in wikipedia it was released on december 11th well that was the premiere it was on december 11th but it was okay, yeah. officially released december 25th um i guess and that, what a, what a strange choice for a uh i know for a christmas day release usually it's like happy fun family movies sure but this is not a happy fun take your kids to the movie no, day no. christmas day movie it's not <laughs> And it's two and a half hours long. It's a long movie. Yeah. It's like, well, so let me ask you this. Was the, so it's the, I know in the last, um, you know, sometime in the last 20, 30 years, it became like a tactic to where if you wanted to try to release um, movies that you thought you, you have a shot at getting like um, big. The Oscars. Yeah. yeah, The Oscars is like the end of the year. Right. So was that already by the, by the late eighties? Do you think that was already? Cause maybe that's why they did it in the, I mean, I don't know. (sighs) <sighs> that was the first thing i thought of when when you mentioned it was released in december the first thing i thought of yeah. actually was that 
oh, it was edging for the uh, Oscar. They were, they were thinking, well, nothing, nothing really good came out this year, so let's just squeeze it in before <laughs> January. <laughs> Get as many uh, Oscars as we can. Right, Tom Stoppard? Right, Steven Spielberg? Okay. <laughs> but I don't know if they were doing that back then or not yet already. I mean, they, they definitely do it now, but I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they were. It just wasn't being reported because we didn't have the probably. instantaneous communication of the internet You're back then. right. Uh, okay, so yeah, you mentioned it. Steven Spielberg. This is our first uh, Steven Spielberg-directed movie. <clears throat> um, it was uh, based on a novel, but apparently it was semi-autobiographical. I've never read the novel, but it was by a guy named J.G. Ballard? Or yeah. Ballard? I don't know. It could, it's, be, um, it could be either it's one. It's ba- Bayard, I believe he's... <laughs> by- Bayard, yeah. I believe he's Spanish. Um, and that was Not the Mexican. novel of the same name. Uh, and, uh, so we'll go through it in a second, but, um, Oh, some... he's the same guy that wrote High Rise. Oh, uh, okay. That controversial novel that was made into a really poor movie just, mm. uh, uh, last year with, um, yeah. Loki. I, Darn Loki, that was awful. Yeah, I didn't see that, but. No, you don't see it. It's, he's great <laughs> in it. There's great actors in it, but sure. the movie's yeah. awful. Oh. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, so let's, uh, do you want me to, I'll do a quick uh, plot summary. This will go quick. Um, <laughs> will it? Um, maybe. Depends. Maybe. Okay, so uh, this, the, the movie is set uh, during World War II. Um, uh, but one of the things I loved about it, I, I love World War II, well, we'll get into it later, but <laughs> I love World War II movies that uh, don't, you know, so much of um, what you see in, in American not just cinema, but also, I guess, just popular culture in general is all about the uh, European theater. But you don't see as much yeah. about the Pacific. And what was really interesting about this is this focuses kind of more on the the British in the Pacific. Um, in fact, uh, some British civilians who live in Shanghai at the beginning of the movie, right before the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. But uh, and what people, uh, a lot of people, don't know is that um, unless you really have read up on um, World War II is that um, Pearl Harbor was just one attack of many, many of offensive uh, engagements that the Japanese launched um, on that day in uh, 1941. So in addition to attacking us at Pearl Harbor, um, they also attacked a lot of the British, um, uh, you know, bases and, and, uh, and the holdings. What do they call it? Um, uh, I mean, it wasn't really a colony, but it was um, like a protectorate or something. I mean, it was. Yeah, um, they mentioned it in the in the scroll, the crawl at the beginning yeah, of the movie, and I, yeah, I forgot what they yeah. said. In fact, um, that's uh, that was one of the things I kind of, even though I had seen this movie a lot of times, I kind of had forgotten that they start with that uh, opening crawl and and a and a voiceover. Me too. Me too. And no credits. That's right. No credits. They just sort of, um, as they're showing you that opening crawl, and, and you hear the that British um, guy with a pretty pretty cool voice reading reading the crawl. You just sort of slowly see the title fade in uh, in the background, and then it just sort of fades out. And uh, it's it's a it's a that's one of the things that I think tells you right off the bat, like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> this it, is going to be an interesting story, you know. It it lends itself well to that sense of tension of like, oh gosh, something something's about to happen, something's about to happen. Oh because, sure, yeah. Because you're 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 kind of still waiting for the opening credits. Like this is a pre-credit scene. 
yeah. that never ended. And, right. you know, like right. it keeps going. <laughs> so that kind of that heightens that tension. For, and, I, and I never noticed it before now. And right. I never noticed it. I haven't, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. So uh, so we see um, some, you know, really uh, pre- pretty wealthy. Uh, they say upper middle class in, in Wikipedia. But I don't know. To me, that's they were. No, they were. They were wealthy. Yeah. yeah they, you don't put a woman on her way to a costume ball dressed like Marie Antoinette. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And call her upper middle class. Come on. No, yeah. I mean, that call was... Call a spade a spade. That's... Yeah. They, they, they're, they're, they're part of a wealthy community that lives in Shanghai. They're all like British uh, nationals, that, but they live in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we follow the... Um, well, we, we start with the Graham family, but uh, particularly the whole movie follows uh, the boy, the son, Jamie Graham, or Jim, as they call him, Jim Graham, uh, played by a crazy young uh, Christian Bale. Um, apparently, he had done a role uh, before this, but really was un- was an unknown before this movie. Yeah, um, and so he, he and he's very young. Although you know, you can definitely recognize him. Um, and so the uh, they, they show a lot of um, a lot of that tension as you talk about um, in the beginning of the movie, but they also you know kind of set up that he is. Um, uh, really, really just in love, just head over heels in love with airplanes, especially military airplanes, you know, fighter yeah, mil- planes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and is not very, uh, strong. It doesn't feel, seem like because they live in China, uh, he doesn't have much of a sense of connection back to great Britain or England. Um, and and is you know super interested in like what's going to happen between China and Japan and that kind of thing, and and the war there because you know China and Japan have been fighting a war since 1931. Uh, so uh, in any case, the Japanese finally uh, kind of launched their attack, and um, the whole city's plunged into chaos, and and uh, Jim gets separated from his parents. Um, so he ends up you know going back to uh, his house. They're just ginormous mansion of a house um and when he eventually runs out of food there he just kind of you know rides his bike out into the city he tries to surrender to some japanese soldiers who just laugh him off and yeah. uh he gets uh you know chased and kind of beat up by some street thug uh but he's taken in by um a guy named frank and basie so basie's kind of this um american hustler and he's played by john malkovich and uh, Frank and I, I didn't even I, I remember the character of Frank, but I had forgotten that that was Joe Pantoliano. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. I just couldn't believe it. He's so young. And uh, so they kind of take him in, although they're not really like being super altruistic. I mean, they're trying to like sell his teeth and you know, yeah, just, we'll sell him or yeah. sell him. Right. And um, so uh, Jim, uh, sensing that they're about to cut him loose, he takes them back to the wealthy neighborhoods that he grew up in so they can try to loot stuff. But they run into some, back at his old house, they run into some Japanese soldiers and they all get taken captive. And, uh, and then the movie really goes into the, the prison camp. Um, and they start out in one prison camp that's basically like a giant like warehouse or something. And, uh, and uh, Basie's kind of, you know, taking Jim under his wing at this point and is trying to teach him how to survive. And then they end up getting taken uh, with another group of Brits off to um, another, a different prison camp that was, I guess, a little bit better. Um, 
Well, yeah, because everybody wasn't dying of dysentery in in the warehouse together. Right, right. At least it was like outside. uh, But it seemed to be a camp that was, um, I don't know, somewhere out on the outskirts of Shanghai somewhere where they were all being made to work to build a a runway. This is like a Japanese air base. Yeah, an airfield of some kind, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then we jump ahead uh, to the end of the war, jump ahead to 1945, and... and, and we can see that Jim, you know, is being uh, super successful at just surviving. He he runs all over the camp, trading with everybody and finding all these uh, useful things to different people. And um, we see the, the the camps run by this guy, this Japanese um, sergeant, Sergeant Nagata, not an officer, but a, a, an NCO runs the camp. And uh, there's a British doctor who kind of, you know, teaches Jim, tutors him, you know, because he's not, you know, they're not able to go to school or anything. And, um, and this doctor also runs the, the camp hospital and, uh, and, and you get a sense, you know, that, uh, that they all kind of sense that the war is coming to an end. In fact, Basie even talks about it, you know, at some point he's, he gives Jim that whole speech about how, you know, it's the, uh, it's the beginning of the wars and the ends of the end of the wars where, uh, you have to be, is it you have to be careful or no that's the part where you can make all make you can make out like a bandit or something like yeah, that. yeah that, you make the most money it's it's yeah. the middle of the war where you just kind of you get you lay around like a king so to speak and then, yeah but the, yeah but uh but the beginning and the end is right. where you you make right. the most and then finally then you retire yeah and he's gonna open up a i, I almost said butcher shop no barber shop <laughs> barber shop right same thing yeah. So we'll, we won't go through all the details here, but Jim, uh, you know, wants to prove himself and, and get into the American barracks. And uh, so he does some tasks for the Americans and he, you know, he, he manages to make it in there. But then he ends up uh, getting kicked out at, at some point and basically gets uh, beat up by the uh, uh, by Sergeant Nagata for having a bunch of contraband in his in the barracks. And then. Uh, uh, they, they, uh, so, uh, the, the, to me, the big scene in the movie is actually it was right after that where, um, Jim was kind of kicked out of the barracks and he didn't really have, I guess he hadn't gone back to the, the British family, uh, dorm yet. And he sees, um, there's this, there's this kid that kind of throughout the movie, Jim sort of sees on the other side of the wire and he's a Japanese kid who, and I think he's a special needs kid. Oh, do you think so? I kind of think so. Maybe. There, there was I, something about there was a simpleness about his facial expression and yeah. one of his eyes that made me think that maybe like it might have been Nagata's son mm. because Nagata seemed to take a shine to him a little bit, seemed protective of the kid, and maybe. Uh, yeah, like that might be the only reason he was allowed to be around is because well, it was yeah, yeah. Well, and he and he definitely. I mean, I guess I mean at some point they're training him to become a pilot and then at the end he sees um a kamikaze ritual not with that kid that that comes later but you see these three japanese pilots who are um doing the the uh which i'm not sure how many americans would even understand what was what was going on was yeah. happening there um but uh and that was a, that was a one way ticket yeah it was a one way ticket right i mean these guys yeah. were were saying their goodbyes and uh and as they're as they're standing at attention like singing the the Japanese, maybe it was the national anthem or, or what have you. Jim is singing the song that he was singing at the beginning and he's saluting them. Um, and he's, it's the, it's, so it's a, this, this song that he sings a few times that they play a few times. And he sings it a couple times in the movie as a Welsh song, um, which, you know, I, 
I wouldn't know except I've looked it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, I didn't know that because I, you know, grew up with the soundtrack and yeah. loving it and, yeah. and, and, and just singing it and then um, not knowing how to pronounce even the name of the song. But right. um, I, I just thought he was singing in Chinese. But then when he was singing it to the to the men when they were doing the uh, kamikaze ceremony, mm-hmm. when he over sang them so yeah, to speak yeah and kind of took over the ceremony and they all sort of turned to him to listen to him so uh it didn't sound chinese it no. sounded sort of germanic a little bit and i was yeah, like what yeah. and then, yeah. so it doesn't come as a huge surprise that it was sung in welsh yeah yeah i guess it is a welsh um in fact it supposedly is a welsh lullaby no um, kidding yeah and uh it is a lullaby. Now, it's interesting because I've, I hear the song um, sometimes in church because there's somebody took it and made it into a, like a Catholic hymn, took the tune, and it's just it's weird to me. Every time I hear it, I'm like, wow, man, that's weird. That's that song from Empire of the I bet Sun. bet you get goosebumps and you I, want to just fly a model. I do. I, I kind of get goosebumps, yeah. Wow. Um, so that's anyway, crazy. he um, so as those uh, those uh, kamikazes take off on their only mission— uh, they're suddenly attacked by uh, P-51s come flying in. American P-51s come in and attack the whole base. And um, and Jim runs up and you know climbs up on this building to kind of watch this really incredible airstrike. I remember watching it. I remember seeing it in the movie theater, and I just couldn't believe how, I mean, not that I've ever seen anything like that, but it just felt realistic. You know, it felt like, wow, these are real P-51s. They're really strafing that runway. And they are really, really flying low and fast yeah yeah, fast (laughs) it was insane yeah super low and um and uh so at any rate um you know things are sort of rapidly falling apart for for the japanese um and they end up uh, the japanese end up trying to move the move all the prisoners to another location um in the confusion basie uh and a couple other americans leave and they kind of left jim behind you know at one point basie had promised to take him with him um, so Jim and all these, uh, you know, prisoners are, they really, have, they're all very hungry. They haven't had a lot of, you know, reliable food because, you know, Japanese are at the end of their rope here. I mean, this is the, this is the end. And so they don't have much food for themselves, much less for the prisoners. And uh, a lot of these, these folks are unfortunately dying as they're marching to this, uh, they take them to like a old stadium and, uh, which is full of like stuff confiscated by the Japanese when they, when they came in. Everything they used to own, yeah, yeah, was put in this uh, this stadium, and they're brought to it, which is weird. It is weird, know? yeah. And then there's nothing there. There's a, so they thought they were going someplace where there'd be food, and they get there and realize, oh, there's nothing here. We, we you know, so a bunch of people are like, well, we're leaving, you know. And so Jim stays with um, um, Miranda Richardson plays Mrs. Victor, so he stays with Mrs. Victor, but she ends up dying. So then he, uh, oh, and he sees in the sky that morning. Um, the what light. he thinks to be. He thinks it's her soul going up to heaven, right? Yeah. Uh, it actually was the flash from, I think, the bombing of Nagasaki, which was actually, apparently, um, geographically, only a few hundred miles away from Shanghai. Um, oh, I, was, I didn't know which, which one it was, if it was Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Yeah, I think it was Nagasaki, because I think it would have been a lot closer uh, to Shanghai. So apparently it was... Um, the, the, this is this was actually visible to a lot of people in China. The light from 
which is holy smokes. Yeah, it's kind of freaky. Um, so Jim kind of goes back in a, in a mirror of the beginning of the movie. He he finds himself by himself. So he what does he do? He just goes back. He goes back to where he's been living. He goes back to the um, the camp that they had been living in near the airfield. And uh, he hears along the way on, over a radio, he hears about Japan's surrender and the end of the war and um, finds his his friend, the Japanese teenager who he had befriended earlier, who was who was supposed to go take off on a kamikaze mission, but couldn't his plane wouldn't take off. So he was stuck. And uh, and all he like all this kid wanted to do was fly. He, he was like sort of he was the Japanese gem, right? He was also always running around with a model plane or a glider. and. Um, yeah, was so excited to get a chance to to fly, even if it was to to his death, and he and he couldn't do it because his plane wouldn't take off. So, um, and then Basie and his group reappear. They think that um, that this Japanese boy is who has his sword out is going to hurt Jim, and so they shoot him, and Jim gets mad. Um, uh, and then yeah, but, yeah, he well he has his sword above his head yes. like he's going to do some sort of a sideshow stunt to cut open a mango, <laughs> right. which which like, I was kind of thinking like yeah, which maybe goes back to your thought that maybe he was kind of a uh, uh, either had a needs, special needs yeah. is a good way to yeah. yeah because why would anyone think that a giant that taking a giant katana and what's what is he going to do with that to cut this mango or orange or whatever it was like yeah and if you've ever cut a mango it requires very special careful treatment in your hand you, you don't just yeah. cut it like a grapefruit or anything right so if you're going to do that cutting i mean there's a sideshow stunt called the human um cutting board where you take a cucumber on someone's belly or neck and then you, you use a katana that's not that sharp and you go bam <laughs> and you and you you chop it down to the skin and it cuts the cucumber in half but doesn't cut the skin and it's just a gag you know it's just a sideshow stunt uh but this i guess that's kind of the thing he wanted to do but it, it wouldn't work because the pit runs the entire center of a mango what he probably would have done was cut off jim's hand exactly what he would have done so th- <laughs> it's a good thing they shot him and killed him. spoiler I alert spoiler i guess alert. yeah but but also he'd been dragging that that sword through the gravel yeah. and the dirt and stabbing it in the ground so the thing probably looked like uh a cheese grater along it probably the wasn't, edge of it. Yeah, it you know? probably wasn't that sharp anymore anyway. Mm-mm. No. But uh, in any case, uh, uh, the, the, so that's, that's I mean, that's kind of it. At the end, uh, uh, Basie and, and his friends all, you know, they, Jim doesn't want to go with them at this point. He, and uh, so they leave, and uh, Jim stick, sticks around some more, and he, he eventually, like, the Americans start dropping um, supplies from via parachute, like these giant... Uh, uh, well, I guess that had already happened because I remember Basie saying, "There's frigidaires falling from the sky." <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're full of food, so he's got plenty of food and stuff now. And then the, these American soldiers show up, and he's uh, found, and then he's put in an orphanage where, at the end, his mother and father uh, find him, and they're playing that song again at the end. And at the very end, the final scene, they show his suitcase that he had thrown in the river at one point after they had left the camp, and. Um, and I guess that's supposed to be the point, right? Like it's like a coming of age. He threw all the stuff from his childhood, all the things that he held dearest to him. He just tossed them in the river, and that part Finally. Is, part of his life is over. Yeah, and I was really shocked that he, the one little zero, the plane, the toy, the one toy that he mm-hmm. kept throughout the entire movie, the shiny thing, the yeah. one shiny thing that he kept in, through the entire movie. He's walking back, and he's on death's door, and he just can't carry that suitcase anymore, and he's like, Eh, 
and it just chucks it in the river. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I know, right? I, you know, everything, it's all a bit, It's always been about the, the amount of things you have and what you have to trade. And that shiny yeah. thing has always been his one touchstone to to everything I, in his past. And so I, you're right, it's a, it's a pretty pivotal moment, but they handled yeah. it with really just yeah. kind of like, eh. I know. Well, I guess he was kind of, he was mentally fragile at that point, right? I mean, I think he was broken, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Basie had had abandoned him. And and he just felt like, well, this is it. We're just all going to die somewhere. Yeah. And because when he was in that orphanage, he really had that thousand yard stare of, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was gone. He didn't even recognize his parents. No. Mm -hmm. And then when they showed up, he's checking their teeth to see how, you know, yeah, and there was that moment—a complete disconnect. Like I don't even know what kind of people you are. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm looking at your teeth and looking at your hair, and like, okay, I I remember your hair. Yeah, yeah. First checks their value from the teeth, and that you know, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, that is messed up. You know? Yeah. Well, he went through some. Cr- I mean, you know, his that was, his childhood, man. Like, right. Well, that's the greater a, part of his child, his so, developmental childhood. So that's an interesting question. So, how old? Now, it, it's tough because you know, obviously, filming this movie. I mean, Christian Bale was twelve when they filmed this, and you can't make him suddenly, you know, fourteen at the end. I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah, um, it, they did a good job of aging him, but in a weird kind of zombie kind of way, like. <laughs> Suddenly, when they when they when they fast forwarded to 1945, they had that kind of a pastel white effect on his face to make mm-hmm. him look. I don't know, uh, either uh, just the malnutrition or whatever, but it was just kind of a whitish sheen of makeup. And then they gave him that goofy hair, the the crew cut with the bad hair, right? Um, and it, he did seem older without the the boyish slicked down haircut, without the yeah. everything else. He I, I just, think, he seemed a couple of few years older. And I think more than anything, that was uh, just because, uh, that was due to his acting. I, I honestly think he and just acted yeah. older. Do you yeah. know what I mean? He, he, I think he did a great job for a 12-year-old. I mean, I think he was showing, you know, the future Christian Bale, I mean, how great of an actor he was going to be by, you know, just like going, okay, well, now I'm, you know, four years older. So I'm going to just act four years older. Yeah, his his performance in this film uh, certainly stood the test of time. It was it definitely wasn't something that dazzled us because we were kids. It was something that we didn't even fully appreciate when we were younger. Mm-mm. Like it was it was beyond comprehension. Uh, good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I someone his age. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. I, I would say, uh, as much respect as I have for him as an adult actor, I probably have even more respect for for this performance. Just because, I mean, I, there aren't very many twelve year old kids who could who could do what he does in this movie. No, I don't think so. the uh, The kids from Stranger Things. I don't know if you've seen the new Netflix. No, series. I want to see it. I haven't seen it. It's yet. an eight, just an eight episode miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically a History Channel for forty year olds. <laughs> Is what it is. It is such a great encapsulation of of the year 1983, like right down to the telephones on the walls. And at one point, the guy's in a in a shed and grabs a flashlight off of a, a countertop in, in the in a shed outside. <laughs> and it's the same exact like bakelite flashlight, uh, the the kind of yeah. <laughs> uh, black brick one with the r- red rubber thumb button on top of it. Yeah. 
and it puts out this, like you know two lum- lumens of lumens <laughs> right exactly and yet it holds like a six volt battery yeah, 6d batteries or something yeah the exact same flashlight that we used to have under the sink yeah at the time for yeah. years like yeah. i don't know i'm like where do you, would you even get that flashlight they right. had that flashlight like they had everything <laughs> i couldn't believe the, the amount of detail that they went into to the production of this uh, TV show. But the kids who are the star of the film, uh, the talent level is there. Granted, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of comedy, you know, and not sheer like wacky comedy, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's kind of an adventure story, but they're also funny, uh, but they're just incredibly talented. And, but you're right. You, you just don't come across somebody like christian bale except once in a lifetime at that age range right right yeah well and uh i I, to me my thought is and i i read something i think i read it on um i think i read it on the imdb imdb thing that uh it might have been under the goof section that they were saying well you know He's supposed to be 13 at the beginning of the movie. And I said, what do you mean 13? Like, kids don't sing in those um, boys' choirs when they're 13 years old. Like, he he was probably, my guess is at the beginning of the movie, he was supposed to be about 11. You know, maybe 11 going on 12. Yeah. And so by, um, that would have been the end of 41. So then by early 45, I guess that's about three years later. So he's about, you know, supposed to be about f- uh, 14. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, uh, give a little, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, they tried to, I think they did do a pretty good job of making him seem older. And then I think he did a great job of acting older. I, I read, um, and I think I even heard this. I remember our, our mutual friend, Charlie Ebersbaker telling me when we were kids that, that his hair at the in, in the second half of the movie, when they're at the prison camp was a wig. I was thinking that. And I in, in this viewing, I was thinking, yeah, that. and I, I kind of saw it in this viewing, too. But then I and I thought the same thing back then. And I still think it, which is why do you have to put a wig on him? To make, why don't you just cut his hair short? What do you why do you have to have a wig? I don't understand. I, I think maybe his hair wouldn't do that. And they're, they're trying to make him look older. So they had to kind of create like, what would it look like I if guess. he was three or four years older? Like, would it really freak out like that? But how could and, you not? Uh, do you know what like, I'm saying? Did they not have hair product in 1987? Did they not have <laughs> gel to put in his hair to make it kind of spiky? That's, that's a good point. That's a good I point. Mean, you I know, don't, you, uh, our bodies do weird stuff during puberty. And, you know, he was, and that, and that brings up another thing, like the whole bizarre unspoken relationship between him and Miranda Richardson. Mm-hmm. Like, did he want to uh, make out with her? Did like, he was, he was, he was becoming of age and hitting puberty yeah. like in that uh in that uh prison camp yeah on the other side of that sheer curtain right while she was there and he was looking at her and then yeah it was, was intimate and then you're like what and then the next thing you know when he was finally kicked out of the american dorm and had to go back finally to them because she was like the only reference to his age ever in the film was when she suggested that maybe he should go to the right the uh, the men's dormitory because right. you're not twelve anymore, Jamie. And yes, and uh, I was like, oh, 
He's 12. Because I was wondering the whole movie, how old is this kid? Mm-hmm. And because uh, he's, 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 his wisdom is so much further beyond his years and his, his keen eye for the minutiae as yeah. a performer, the yeah. actor, I mean. And, and when she said that, that made me think, is she picking up a vibe from him? Is this because he's going through puberty? Is because he's, he's, she's feeling like she's getting creeped on? And then when she finally, when he finally comes back with his tail tucked between his legs and just beaten, and she shows him the first act of kindness that anyone's ever shown him in, in years, like, because he takes care of everybody, mm-hmm. runs around the camp, and she takes his suitcase and she puts it down and she puts all of his things in a neat little place, and including yep. the, the shiny toy. And, you know, like, like a mo- mother would do and shows right. him that kind of a motherly love. And then, he, and then he looks at her in that kind of way. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what to think. Is he going to, is he going to have sex with her? Is he going to like just <laughs> hug her to death? What's. Yeah. What's and, and I, and I'm, I'm sure that was uh, the, the confusion that he was feeling too. Right. He yeah, sort that. of felt to, toward her, like she was a mother figure and then he was also kind of attracted to her. And um, yeah, I mean. There was a lot, there was a, um, you know, what's cool about this movie is, well, there was a lot of things cool about it, but, but one of the things I, I really like about it is, um, this is, um, so I guess before, uh, before this, Steven Spielberg had done the color purple. So with the color purple and this, I think you saw Spielberg, uh, starting to go, you know what? I don't have to just make like uh blockbuster action movies like i can i can uh i can i can uh, do something that's uh a little bit deeper maybe a little has a little bit more you know intellectual stuff going on and and he's really exercising those muscles in this movie um not just in the uh there's the cinematography aspects of it but also yeah a lot of the um uh, just dialogue and um or lack of dialogue that the times where there's not really any dialogue happening, but he's telling he's telling some interesting parts of the story just through framing the shot or through what's happening on the screen. Yeah, through action, um, but not not in the, yeah. uh, the punch punch uh, t- yeah. definition of the term action, but just through motion of of what's what's happening on the on the screen yeah. at a time. Yeah. And, and it's it's fun to um, it's fun to to watch that you know and and sort of think about the movie in the context of his career and, and realize that this is kind of where he's really starting to hit his stride, you know, and, and really show what he's capable of as a director. And um, so that was one of the cool things uh, that I enjoyed about the movie. And I, and I probably got that more so this time watching it than I did when I was, you know, 14 or 15 or whatever I was when, when it came out. I can't, yeah, I, I still never I, did the math. What, are, what were we, 13? We were about his age, roughly. Yeah, uh, right. Because uh, roundabout, or fourteen. I think we were fourteen. Twenty-three. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, fourteen. I think we were fourteen. Everybody listening right now is going to be going. You are. <laughs> you guys 16, are such darn idiots. You're so stupid. You can't do math. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, the other thing. Um. The other reason that this. Uh, well, and you'll remember this. I mean, uh, th- this movie. This movie hit me in a bunch of ways. I mean, first of all, um, probably since I was like, I don't know, 12 or 11, uh, I was, I just became super fascinated with World War II uh, and just fell in love with a lot like, um, a lot like uh, Christian Bale's character. I just fell in love with 
um, the aircraft from World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and around the same time, probably around 13 or so was when I started to get um, just super fascinated by Japan. Yeah. And, uh, and you and I kind of, you know, kind of went through the same thing around, you know, around the same time. I mean, we both started to, you know, I don't know, we were watching Japanese anime and Japanese samurai movies. And um, I remember, and I remember for me, the big, the big thing was when I read Shogun and that really, you know, kicked it off. I just was like, what? This country is amazing. Like there's so many, yeah. you know, fascinating things about this culture. And um so that's one of the things that was so interesting to see this movie. Cause like I said, you don't see, um, if you do see, uh, the whole Pacific theater portrayed in an American film, uh, you know, related to world war two, it's, it's usually just, you know, well, the Japanese are just these sort of faceless, uh, monsters that, that we had to deal with. Right. <laughs> like it's not, right. there's, there's no treatment of them as, as, as people or as some kind of, um, you know, from a particularly unique culture or anything like that. Um, and th- there was just so much about Jim that I related to. You know, I, I um, had these weird uh, conf- conflicts as a kid because um, I kind of had, I don't know, a fascination, but also, I guess, an admiration of, I guess, kind of the both the Japanese and the German militaries, in, in a, but in a weird, like, I kind of knew that was weird because, you know, I'm an, I'm an American kid. I'm not supposed to like, like, they were the enemy. I'm not really supposed to like them, but I kind of did yeah. anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. There was, and, and uh, you know, Jim has that too, right? Like, he's constantly being told by adults that he's not supposed to, he's not supposed to like the Japanese pilots, you know, that he's not supposed to think that they're brave, and the, and um, and yet he's he's rooting for them, and he's he's yeah. tooting the fact that they've got better, you know, uh, mil- uh, aircraft, and that they're going to win, and then that the guys are we're trying to remind him, but we don't want them to win, Jamie. We're yeah. British, yeah, remember? And he's like, but I've never been there. He's, <laughs> right. he's never he's never even been to England. Right. He's not sure why he should care that he's British. Yeah. Right. I mean. Which is mind mind blowing, but um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I um and and I uh, I don't know. It's it's a um I I, I think it's um uh, I think the whole kamikaze thing is still an interesting. Um, I mean, to me, um, like I said, I I don't know. The, I mean, I don't want to um I don't want to anger people uh, <laughs> like my American friends when I say that I I think you know I don't think um. I don't think people who kill themselves to hurt innocent people are particularly admirable, but I think there is there is something admirable about um, a uh, a soldier or an airman or sailor giving their life. I mean, even we 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 sort of demonize uh, the kamikazes, but then at the same time, we will turn around and um, you know turn into heroes. People who you know jump on a grenade to save their buddies, or do, do you know what I'm saying? Like it. it I'm not totally sure. Um, I, I guess I there's a difference, but um, I think I, I think the difference is uh, one is with the intent to cause harm, and one's with the intent to uh, save, to protect and and diminish the amount of harm. Yeah, and and those in those two instances only. But but I do think you're onto something. Is and it's that the um, it boils down to bravery. It's not it's not lunacy. 
it's it's courage right and um i think there was a uh, a newscaster or commentator or podcaster um it might have been that ufc guy that i can't remember his name who uh former stand-up comic and now he does a lot of ufc uh, uh commentary and, oh, and yeah, announcing yeah. joe rogan Joe Rogan, right, no, right. maybe maybe not him. But somebody said, uh, "Don't underestimate." Um, or it could have been the um, oh man, the guy on HBO um, does the uh, the talk show thing. Oh, and, Bill Maher. Yeah, Bill. It could have been Bill Maher. So don't don't uh, don't underestimate the courage of the suicide bombers, um, uh, the terrorists, and the suicide bombers, and the people from the the daesh you know the the guys that are mm-hmm. uh, you know just um yeah the the zealots who decide that they want to blow themselves up for their cause right and uh it's not too far removed but if you look at it from their point of view and if you put yourself in their shoes and you put yourself in what he's saying is uh i think from his perspective is you grew up in a in a a piss poor part of the world. Yeah, uh, you don't know n- nothing about nothing. Uh, you've never you've never seen a Starbucks. Yeah, a day in your life. Uh, all you know is is it's crap and, and oppression and dirt and and there and people that wipe their butts with their left hand and and eat drink coffee with their right hand and and then uh, people telling what to do and where to die and then somebody comes and bombs. Uh, uh, your school yeah and and your kids are dead so you decide well i'm gonna go and uh blow up some american soldiers yeah, and i yeah. die while doing that yeah so um yeah and, I, and i'm not saying they should no i'm not saying they should but i but i think i think i understand where you're coming from no especially in the in the sense of the the japanese during world war ii because that was definitely during a, um, a clearly defined theater of war yeah you know versus now yeah. it's a lot different right uh, right and, and and i'm not um and don't get me wrong i'm not uh not giving the japanese a pass i mean they were clearly uh, they were clearly the aggressors <laughs> in the pacific and it's certainly they uh they were they did some horrible horrible things to the chinese um in china which um you know again is one of those things i don't even know how many americans really really know that stuff because yeah but we know about you know yeah, yeah they, they they're just, just terrible atrocities um because that's part of their culturally it's like um it's just something uh like i was re- there, there's been some interesting um you know studies done like why are the why the japanese seem so polite and they're so um they seem to be so uh bound by all these rules and stuff like why would they go crazy I mean, because they literally, like, they just went, seemed to go berserk, like, when they would, uh, when they would take these uh, territories, um, and, and they didn't always do it, but they often just completely terrorized the population and, you know, killed lots of innocent civilians. I mean, it just did horrible things. And, uh, you know, so I'm not trying to give them a pass at all. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, but, but there is something, uh, you know, as they were, you know, getting near the end there and they were kind of at the end of their rope and and you know these guys were trying to in their from their point of view like you're saying um they're trying to uh stop the invasion of their homeland you know they were trying to do anything they could to slow down what at that point 
was, you know, surely looked inevitable. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's something kind of, um, you know, moving to, to, to watch that, to see uh, these guys, you know, willingly go off to, um, to you know, give their lives to, to try to stop the enemy. Absolutely. And, uh, you know. And, and, and certainly when it's depicted by Steven Spielberg in cinematic form. Oh, with, sure. Yeah. Uh, with a score by John Williams. Right. And, and, you know, I used to think when, when we were younger, I used to not understand, partly because uh, my mother was so black and white with things and the over-Christian ideals and everything else. But and sometimes at, there were points when I didn't understand your interest in um, certain parts of World War II history. And, and, uh, and the, the truth is, uh, people can find anything interesting there's nothing wrong with finding aspects of history or or our current um uh events wor- worthy of study mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you're a bad person a lot of people find that uh that um serial killers are fascinating yeah and, and worthy of study it doesn't make them bad people it makes them uh just well that's what flips their switch and they are people of scientific minds they have they that's what flip, you know. That's what that's where their interests lie. Yeah. Uh, other people happen to find the Ebola virus fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's and that's just an objectivity that I didn't have when I was younger. You know. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. a lot. Of, I think many people don't have now. Right. Uh, so to yeah. be able to take that that's and to bring it back is to take that scene and what they were what they were watching and really kind of look at it with an open mind and and. And see it from their perspective, yeah, and from some some other non-American armchair perspective, right? You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. Now, I mean, to to I will tell you, you know, looking back on it now, uh, I, I I totally know that part of my fascination with uh, both Germany and Japan and World War II was that was that I. Um, <clears throat> When I look back on it now, it's so clear to me. I'm like, oh, of course. Like, I was a scared, uh, I was a scared, insecure kid uh, who who felt like, um, who who in some ways felt, uh, I was just scared of like a lot of of stuff in the world. You know, I was scared of a lot of like uh, people, just kids, other kids. I was like terrified of other kids. Like, yeah. Um, and I was attracted to. Um, what seemed like, um, you know, aggressive power, like people who just would take charge and not take any bullcrap from anybody. And you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I look back on that now and go, well, that was dumb. I mean, like, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, but you know, I don't know. I was a this dumb kid, so I didn't really. Hey, we're kids. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, you, make, you make choices as kids and that's what you do. Well, you make it, choices. You wear a bunch of pair of shoes and uh, then you yeah. throw, and, throw them off and try another pair. Yeah, you exactly. Uh, you have to try on different ideas, right? Like, and you have to, you have to go you through do. that. That's part of uh, growing up, right? Is to, uh, and if you, you don't, you're going to have a weird adulthood. Yeah. You've got to get through all that. And then, uh, to, to get to a point where you're, a you know, and I'm not, not, not to say that I'm not a, uh, not a broken adult, but, but I'm, maybe <laughs> right. I'm less broken than I would have been otherwise. But, uh, uh you and me both. <laughs> but I, I will say, uh, too, um, 
Oh, and let me just say this real quick before we kind of, I feel like we're moving towards like final thoughts about the movie. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I just want to say Ben Stiller. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> I, what what I, a simian looking son of a gun. <laughs> he was straight up gorilla in this movie. You know what's so funny is I totally remembered that character. Uh, because I had watched the movie like four times or something, uh, four or five oh, times in the first year when, after it came out. And I totally remember that character, but I didn't know who Ben Stiller was at the time. So I never, oh. it didn't lodge in my brain. At, like I do remember thinking, oh yeah, that uh, Christian Bale's in that movie and John Malkovich is in that movie. But I had totally didn't realize that that was Ben Stiller until I watched it. And I went, holy crap, there's Ben Stiller. You mean Stiller. Ben Stiller, star of Night at the Museum? <laughs> yes. One, two, and three. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was uh, that American who uh, I guess they. I I wasn't sure if they were calling him Danny. It's uh, was it's, he Danny? Yeah, he was. Well, he was the only right. He well, was bare, barely in the movie. Yeah, but he, he didn't a have lines. a lot of lines. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> he didn't have a lot of lines. But he's listed in Wikipedia as Dainty. But I don't remember them calling him Dainty. I thought it was more like Danny. But anyway. oh, that's that's odd. I always thought it was Danny, but they just they said everything weird. Was, I know. Well, yeah. But uh, so uh, weird. Hiya, uh, Frankie. <laughs> weird uh, trivia. Here's some weird trivia for you. Oh, there it is, Dainty. Yeah, on IMDb. Supposedly, Ben Stiller conceived the idea for Tropic Thunder while performing in this movie. Get out. That's what I'm telling you. There's no way. Apparently. Well, he only has a career because his dad is funny. <laughs> That's true. You know well, what I mean? Like, he, I know. But, uh, uh, you know, he's, he he's, go- a, he's a funny guy. He goofed around. He, well, he's a goofball. He's ex- but- he's, he's confident. And oh, he exper- yeah. He's ex- confident and experimental. Yes. And eventually. Yes. If That's you experiment right. enough and throw enough poop against the wall, something <laughs> will stick. Sure. And then something will be funny. I, I don't particularly think that he's a very funny guy, but he's done some really funny things. Yes. Yes. And, and, That's a good um, way to put it. And uh, uh, Tropic Thunder is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. So if he had anything to do with its creation, then more power to him. Because well, that was a funny, funny movie. It was definitely his movie. I mean, he really I conceived it, and I know, I think, wrote it. And I, did he direct it? I can't remember. But uh, I can't remember that either. But I know uh, my friend, um, one of my former assistants, Tanya Kay, that I uh, mm-hmm. did my sh- show with, the, the gal who used to have uh, blonde dreadlocks. We did the Tonight Show together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Conor O'Brien. She, her, what she calls lover, not boyfriend, but lover. <laughs> sure, her lover uh, did craft services for tropic thunder and was uh-huh. like the head of things so he wound up getting a small part so there's a small part where um i think it's uh tom cruise walks over mm-hmm. and he's pissed or the director walks over and is pissed and then a craft services guy walks up and tries to give him food to oh, yeah. settle him down and <laughs> he goes right. bam and flips a tray right in his face yeah of food yeah and there's a guy with a big earring and everything a real handsome guy with a dark tan that's teddy yonanaka <laughs> that's that's big Fat Teddy is the name of his uh, his catering companies. He he runs a few trucks at a bunch of production companies in town, and uh, and they they film that on Kauai, I think. Oh yeah. And uh, he was he was in Hawaii the whole time, and Tanya got to go down there a couple times and see him while they were shooting that <laughs> thing. And anyway, a little side story there. But he's but while there, they said that Ben Stiller was the biggest <laughs> in the world. I oh, mean, the, really? Uh, 
biggest, you know, biggest, which I hate hearing that. I hate hearing that too, but I could, I can actually kind of see that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, that's not cool, but. But the movie's funny, so yeah, whatever. Yeah, it is, yeah. You know? Yeah. And he made uh, Night at the Museum 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> As you mentioned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so all is forgiven. Yeah. No? Uh, also, uh, interestingly, uh, David Lean apparently was originally going to direct this movie. Um, David Lean, the famous uh, director who directed Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. Um, he, I guess I should have known who that was. He, he, well, he was, you know, near the, I mean, he was getting up there and he hadn't done a whole lot in the 80s but um, apparently this was one of the things he was going to do and he worked on it for about a year with the uh, screenwriter but then he uh he just decided he he, he just didn't have it in him to do it or or whatever and he gave it to uh because spielberg was on as a producer uh-huh and um and apparently after about a year he he handed it over to spielberg and said no nah, you do it wow <laughs> so, yeah that is what a provenance though to come i know him. right yeah. Well, and, and it's Spielberg. funny because apparently in an interview, Spielberg said that since he had come on as the producer, he had he had just become he had just sort of fallen in love with the screenplay and really kind of secretly wished he could direct it, and so it kind of worked out <laughs> worked wow. out well for him. But uh, so he, so he quickly was like, "I got this." Yeah, he's like, "Oh, are you sure? Okay, I'll do it. All right." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just as kind of a as we kind of move towards wrapping it up, I. I loved this movie. I mean, this was like in my top five when I was a kid yeah. after it came out. I'm not sure I would say that it is in my top five anymore. I, I, it's, um, it's still, a, I th- still kind of have, it has a special place in my heart. Um, and I still think it's a, a good movie. I think it, I think I don't think it's quite as good as I thought it was when I was, you know, 14 or 15. Um, I, but, I'm inclined to agree, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I, that, that's all I was going to say was, it definitely lost something for me over the years since I last watched it. I think what it did for me when I was younger is that it uh, it it in- reinforced or maybe instilled two enormous things for me, and that is was my love for uh, military aviation, mm-hmm. just like it did for you. Um, but also because my grandfather, Opa, he flew the uh, SBD yeah. uh, Dauntless, the dive bomber, mm-hmm. uh, during World War II. At least he was he was going into training for takeoff and landings on an aircraft carrier just when the war ended so he didn't have to see any combat or yeah. uh whatnot and then yeah. but that's what he was flying and um and then when i saw this movie and then i saw all that footage up close and personal i'd, I'd never seen anything like that before yeah or uh, the mustang i never had seen anything remotely like that where i mean like those guys were flying so low and so cl- it was shot so clear in mm-hmm. slow motion. I mean, like if you were standing on the ground, you could have thrown the guy a beer. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know, and the guy—it was sl- such slow motion. The guy was just just looked over and just waved. Yeah, to him, you know. And, and that, that is a beautiful aircraft. The P fifty one is an awesome, awesome just aircraft. Absolutely stunning and breathtaking. And that and that to me was was the. Um, the climax of the film is is that moment, yeah. and then and then when the doctor just tears him down out of out of that moment of complete euphoria, yeah, that you're that you're feeling with him, mm-hmm. you know. I had goosebumps in my ears; uh, they were so big. <laughs> um, 
and then the doctor tears him down and then he and then he suddenly just realizes that he can't remember what his parents look like anymore yeah and i was just 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 heartbroken and i'm like screw you steven spielberg for, <laughs> for and, and you and and you too uh tom stoppard for writing this the way and you too whoever the the book was written by and then you too whoever the guy was that lived this the first time for <laughs> having lived this because that was heartbreaking you yeah. know uh, yeah the 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 things that that boy ha- had to go through uh yeah it was and it was something i mean mm-hmm. the yeah. tribulations were just awful oh yeah just, just awful yeah but uh so the love of, of aviation stayed with me for a very 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 long time and even still um after opa passed away um Several years ago, my son got to get to know him for a few years, mm-hmm. um, uh, his namesake, and then uh, before they passed, before he and his wife passed, and then a couple of years ago, a year or so ago, my wife and I took him, and we went with my in-laws and my son's uncle down to the Midway in San Diego, an uh, aircraft carrier, yeah, and they had a Dauntless. Wow. I couldn't believe it on display and i was like oh my god and so we got to take a picture next to it and i was like this is so cool that's awesome yeah so it was pretty neat so i, I mean I, i'm still i turn into like a little happy i had this four-year-old sense of glee anytime i get too close to like an airplane or get to see yeah i mean and, and spielberg apparently also has a, a real love for for aviation and particularly world war ii you know, planes and aircraft, and it really comes through in this movie. Uh huh. You know, just uh, it's almost like a love letter to yeah to, to like World War Two aircraft, like the Zero and the P fifty one is just like, yeah, man, these are awesome planes. Speaking of which, during the shooting of which is has nothing to do with nothing, but speak, <laughs> speaking of night night at the museum mm-hmm. um, with Ben Stiller. During the shooting of Saving Private Ryan, one of the ways, uh, no, scratch that, reverse, <laughs> reverse it, reverse it. Um, okay, yeah, it was during the shooting of Schindler's List. One uh-huh. of the ways that Spielberg was able to kind of like maintain his sanity was to, at the end of the day, um, the shoot day, he was he would get online with this good buddy, uh. Ben Stiller's co-star from Night at the Museum, Robin Williams. <laughs> and uh, they would play online, I think, World War II uh, aircraft shoot 'em up games. <laughs> really? Really. With but Robin it, Williams? It, with Robin Williams. And I don't, I don't know if it was, if I got the genre right or the game style, but they yeah. would get, they would do online gaming stuff. Wow. Um, and, and can you imagine playing video games online with robin williams no i mean no. not now obviously well <laughs> yeah that would really be weird now but yeah. um yeah well i don't know how uh, yeah i don't know how spielberg i can't imagine filming a movie like schindler's list either i mean uh, you know no i couldn't and then Ugh. but then to talk about to go the polar opposite and then to get on with robin williams and have him just go rat-a-tat-tat um, yeah with his goofy crazy personality <laughs> like, I did the MTV Movie Awards in 07, I think, when Sarah Silverman was the the, the mm-hmm. host. Yeah. And we went on in the beginning, and I just blew fire. Like a bunch of, they hired every variety artist they could possibly <laughs> find to come on. She's like, 
well, if I had my way, the whole show would be like this. And then there was like five seconds of every variety artist doing everything at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And so like me and this other girl blew fire at the back. And, and then there was like 15 other people doing juggling and still walking and all kinds of stuff. And then we stopped and she goes, but they said I couldn't do all that. So it's going to look like this. And then some choir started and doing doing something else and, <laughs> and that's it and we were done and we got paid for the day i was like this is awesome nice so as we were walking out um they ushered us out rather quickly because it was a huge thing and then um jack nicholson came on up after us and did his whatever he gave out an award and came out after us and then we got to pose for a picture with him and uh and, and as we're taking the picture after we were finished he goes did i look lucid <laughs> and, and i was like that was the weirdest thing to say but that was like the perfect jack nicholson thing to say as we're all milling about uh backstage then up comes robin williams and he's wearing a kilt and he's wearing like <laughs> of course yeah of course and he's wearing like a chainmail pouch and uh-huh. weird little accoutrement stuff and he's just acting all scottish and goofy and bouncing off the wall and i'm like it's real he's real and it's and none of it's bullshit it's all for real and it's you know and then here he comes and he's just talking and we got to take a photograph with him too awesome we didn't get to hang out with him or nothing no yeah but we got to kind of like just kind of be around him for a little bit and that's cool and kind of get a little bit of his energy and and what what it was like to kind of be around him you know yeah and then um and sneak a photo and and then uh he went in did whatever he did that that year for for the MTV Movie Awards, and then, yeah, and we went home. So wow, it was a it was a weird night. Very cool. Yeah, strange thing. And what does that have to do with? Uh, I don't know. With um, Empire of the Sun, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm sh- absolutely nothing. However, he was good friends with Steven Spielberg. That's right. And that's that's. That's how I bring it all back around. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay. The other thing we should do before we wrap wrap up is, uh, oh, we should real quick, we should do a trivia question. I was about to say, and this one's mm-hmm. on you, my friend. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Is it? Okay. I can do one. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what you would do. I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you flounder at all, flounder uh-huh. or founder, uh-huh. Uh-huh. if you become a fish, or if you reach the bottom of the ocean, <laughs> either one. If you become a fish with both eyes on the same side of your head, or if you well, reach the bottom of the ocean, I'll hmm. help. Okay. Well, okay. So we talked a lot about uh, the aircraft uh, in this movie. Uh, and what I want to know from people is, um, we, we talked about the Japanese aircraft, and they were supposed to be Zeros, uh, the A6M Mitsubishi Zero. But they were not. Dang. They were not zeros. And so the trivia question is, what actually were those aircraft? They were modified to look like zeros, but they were not actual Japanese zeros. Because I don't even, I mean, there are some still, I think, that are, that are in flying shape. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get the actual, uh, actual aircraft for this movie. So that's our c- trivia question. Really? Really? That's a trivia question? Yes. Don't you think that's good? And that sounds like something that somebody could kind of look up, kind of... I'm not... I don't know how you could find this information out. You might have to, like, watch a DVD extra or something. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Because it might, it might be, like, 
two or three or nine weeks before our next giveaway. I, I know it sure, might. Yeah. I want to make sure it takes them two or nine weeks to figure this out. So <laughs> it'll take at least two or nine minutes. Two and. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, somebody's just going to skip to the end of the episode because we did it again <laughs> we did it again we waited till the end of the episode I know, to, I know. well it's not really the I mean no we'll, it's not we'll talk a little bit more yeah we'll Here. say at least four we'll hit four <laughs> items of interest after yeah, this right yeah so uh, how about the how about that music oh yeah that music was <laughs> darn good well, you said you did say you did mention it was John Williams. Of course, it, it was I John did, Williams. and and of course it was fantastic. Did he ever and, do? Did, was there ever a Spielberg movie that John Williams did not do the score to? Can't have they all been scored by John Williams? That's an interesting uh, question in and of itself. That's the second part of the trivia. <laughs> That's question. part two of the qu- trivia is question. You have is, to list which Spielberg movies in order that have not been done by. There you go. Uh, I like that. John Williams. That's a really good one. Okay, so all, both of those. be all-inclusive. Part one and, and part two of the trivia questions. Yeah, yeah. I like but that. But it has to be written in complete sentences. <laughs> in in just, Welsh. In Welsh <laughs> and in English. <laughs> right. You have to, to list, it lists all of the, the movies in order, in Welsh, in English, complete sentences. Yeah. Uh, and if you give us any lip, it'll have to be in iambic pentameter. <laughs> so don't give us any lip, all right? <laughs> okay the listeners agree yes uh, well right. silence is consent that's what i always heard so silence is consent yeah. i also like that this movie stars an amazing john malkovich before he became right john malkovich yes you know what i mean exactly he was amazing before he realized it you know he really was and i wished that i would kind of wish he had never realized that he was amazing because he was great. He was so good in this movie. Yeah, and something at some point he just became himself. Uh, I don't yeah. know, and it and it was great. I and mean, he still, it's like, hey, you get to watch John Malkovich. But but before that, I know you got, he was you got to watch this dude crinkle up his face and look goofy <laughs> and look you know stupid and believable and honest and in the moment and yeah and just be a jerk. And I mean, this guy was just so real. Oh, yeah. he was so real, you know? Yeah, now they say, they say that, uh, and Wikipedia says he was an American ship steward that had been stranded in Shanghai during the occupation. Yeah, he said he was doing the, um, he said the Frisco to Shanghai line. So he was going back and forth between San Francisco and Shanghai. Yeah, but did he say he was a steward? Oh, I don't remember that, but it would make sense as to his, his people skills. It does. Yes, you know? that's true. That is true. I don't remember him actually saying it. I remember him talking about it. You remember there was the, I think it was when he was in the, um, in the hospital after he'd gotten the beat out of him and, uh, by the, uh, Japanese sergeant. And, uh, and he was talking about how he was like, what? He was like, what this? I got, I got beat up by a stoker one time. It was a lot worse that's, than that. That's and, right. Uh, and, uh, and Jim goes, were you a stoker? And he goes, no. And maybe that's where he said it. Maybe he said no. I because he he was talking so softly, it was hard to understand yeah. sometimes. But yeah, you might have copped to it right there because I don't yeah. remember what I don't remember what he said. But he just said he he wasn't a stoker, right? And he he wouldn't. I was waiting for him to admit why he got his his ass beat. Yeah, which he didn't. He didn't. Explain. He didn't say that. So nope. I I missed I missed when it when he said what it was he did for living on the ship. But yeah, um, 
I kept waiting for him to tell, to admit what we you know, like he stole the guy's girl or right. He stole his watch because obviously he's an opportunist. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's such a what an interesting character. I mean, he was, um, gosh, he was a super fascinating character. Very complex. Oh yeah. Very very charismatic. Very complex. So so supposedly the budget for this movie was thirty five million. Hmm. Which is pretty high for for nineteen eighty seven. I feel like. Um, yeah, yeah, because because then in eighty nine, Abyss was like almost two or three times that, or something like that. But which was the highest? Yeah, wasn't it like ninety million time, or something? something or, like that. Yeah. yeah, ridiculous. And supposedly it made sixty six million at the box office. I think it's considered somewhat of a non commercial success. I don't know if it's if it's considered like a bomb, but um, financially, I mean. Yeah, I thought it, um, yeah. But it may, I, I yeah, can understand I I, that it, I mean, it's not, the, it, it's not a, it's not a movie that would, I think, appeal to a, a huge audience. No, it's not a people movie. This was an Oscar no. grab. So that, well, and it was. This movie isn't for, let's say, people. <laughs> and it did, uh, it did receive, I think, seven, uh, Six or seven Academy Awards didn't win any of them, but it was nominated. Oh, so it didn't. What? Uh, well, what the hell else was out in '87? <laughs> well, okay, that's my question. Do you, do you know what movie it lost to for pretty much for almost everything? <laughs> uh, out of Africa. No, I think that might have been a year or two. I think that was a year or two earlier. Uh, it lost to, uh, and this is confusing because it almost contains one of the same words. It won. Uh, it won out to the Last Emperor. What? For I think uh kind of cinematography, score and something else, but uh that movie was awful. Last I Emperor? Watched, I watched that when I was younger and I felt no emotional connection to it whatsoever. Uh you know, I, I haven't seen it in forever. I remember liking it, but I don't remember why I liked it. All, I don't even remember. All I, <laughs> all I remember was is hating this guy cuz he had wealth and he could oh, uh-huh. he couldn't fit in cuz he had all this wealth and he yeah. just couldn't find his place. Like when he was a young boy he had all these stewards and one of them picked up a bowl of his poop and sniffed it and goes no more sausage (laughs) and i was like i was like this movie they're sniffing his poop i'm not gonna watch this is stupid i mean they're they're deciding his diet depending on how his his poop smells this is weird and then uh, that's not why i didn't like the movie but i just thought that was weird and um i don't even remember it but then later in life, he's like despondent and in jail and he's, he's copping his story to uh, some other prisoners who decide to lend him a, a, an, an ear. And he's saying, yes. And then and then I was a playboy for, for years. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, sad story. You're like a, a billionaire playboy, you know. And, well, it is. And, I mean, it's kind of uh, like, oh, you can't be emperor of the of the universe anymore. It's kind so of an interesting story that he was, you know. Uh, this young emperor of China, and, and then you know, be, and then was just ended up in prison. I mean, that's yeah, but, kind of an but interesting. On, but on the way, here's this limitless yeah. credit card that will never has <laughs> right. no bottom to it or no end, right. and then you can go party and do anything you want, mm-hmm. and then eventually you'll end in prison. But on the way there, right, you can commit any sort of hedonistic crime against man that you could sure. possibly imagine. You don't uh, think that's a sad story? Yeah, no. <laughs> I just, I'm bitter because I think Empire of the Sun was 
a movie I connected with a whole lot more. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll have to go back and watch, uh, I, yeah, you know, the I, other one and meet Jesus, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, like I said, I, ha- I remember liking it in high school, but I don't remember even why. Like I said, I don't remember, I don't remember that much about it really, but. But they both ha- deal with World War II in some in some respects. They both almost have. I mean, one has the word empire, one has emperor. So it's like, what are the? You're just trying to confuse people, man. Stop it. Stop with the name recognition stop, stuff. You stop, just, stop with the words that sound like other words. Yeah, you're just <laughs> riding hell? on those coattails, man. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah. Well, okay, we should probably wrap it up. Um, but it was fun to watch this again. Yeah, I'm glad I did. And the reason it didn't quite hold up for me the second or nowadays, uh, earlier it maybe you know it reinforced my love of of World mm-hmm. War II aircraft, mm-hmm. and maybe want to uh, to sing in in a, in choir. <laughs> did it? And so and it, it did, and so really? I did. So like uh, that's when we were going into uh, I was our freshman year in high school, and then oh, okay. the, very, the very next semester uh, I enrolled in choir, and then. Um, got to do some solos and some yeah, whatever I remember that or whatever. And then, so I stayed in choir for a little while. And so I, I wound up doing like the trifecta. I was doing, I was in, I was in band, I was in the drum line and then I did some stuff in choir and then stuff in, uh, the theater department yeah, drama. The, of course the drama director didn't do anything. So if we ever <laughs> got anything done, it was on our own volition. Um, but, uh, but I got to play around in all three playgrounds, so that was a whole lot of fun. Nice. Um, but but now when I go back and watch it, it was a chore. It was um, it was a it was a it was a sad movie, and it was a labor. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was beautiful. It mm-hmm. it was it sounded beautiful. It looked beautiful, and everything else. But it was just like, uh, my time obviously and yours is, is too i guess is uh, way more precious nowadays and a two and yeah. a half hour commitment is a huge commitment yeah it better be uh, a, a good movie yeah and it was it but is like, yeah but but like this this kind of a movie is just different it's just we, well, we've already seen it and yeah and it's funny it's funny that you say that because um i was reading this the wikipedia section on the critical response and apparently ebert said uh, on the on Siskel and Ebert, um, he he said he had kind of mixed feelings about the movie. In fact, he said it's basically a good idea for a film that never gets off the ground. Ha ha, no pun intended. Um, oh, and, and Siskel said, I, I don't know what the film is about. It's so totally confused and taking things from different parts. Um, and he's saying, I don't. At the end, he says, I don't know what Spielberg wanted to do. So, um, and I, I'm not. Sure that that I mean I think there's some validity to to some of those criticisms and I think like we were saying this was Spielberg trying to learn how to make these kinds of um, serious movies and you mentioned like Schindler's List earlier like you can't like he had to do these movies first to learn how to do this stuff and that makes sense you know what I mean yeah. you you can't get Schindler's List without him making Empire of the Sun um, yeah and, so, and also. Uh, also uh look at the source material it comes from tom stoppard who wrote uh rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead which is one of the most uh widely ex- broadly accepted pieces of existential theater in the history of western civilization so that and waiting for godot or as i say in england waiting for Godot. 
And, <laughs> Is that what and they say? Um, that's what they that's what they call it, which kind of blows the, the concept and ending of it. But because it's a God concept they're waiting for that never comes. So it's, it's all about existentialism and and our place in the universe and what's go- what's happening and mm-hmm. the the answers that never come. And then oh, it starts over again. Um, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's always been my favorite play and Stoppard's always been kind of my favorite playwright and mm-hmm. and uh, the meaning of love and arcadia and all these wonderful plays that he's written and so when he wrote this uh this screenplay obviously it's it's some pretty heady material so mm-hmm. sure you, the doctors is is t- um tutoring jim on all this latin conjugation yeah. of the word word love like to be loved i will be loved i'm going to have been loved right and, and all these words and then that's in like in a fugue state after he confesses that he can't remember what his parents look like yeah the doctor picks him up and then like in a fugue state he just starts reciting the conjugation of the word of those versions of the word love and i'm like oh my god they like this is crazy he's having a nervous breakdown (laughs) yeah and and it's like you almost need like um, a screenplay to follow along with to kind of be able to look this up and see yeah, what the right. hell is he saying and yep and all this stuff so it's it's really heady material and 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 i'll i'll go along with uh siskel was it who said that they didn't quite get off the ground because yeah um yeah ebert said is, it didn't quite get off the ground ebert okay yeah. so it's um I'll, yeah i i agree i see some validity to that because uh the, the material itself was um was a, a was pretty rambunctious to try to to tackle and yeah it is it, it, this was a yeah like you say this was a tough thing to try to put on to film yeah yeah even though it was written for film it was written as a screenplay oh sure by, by stopper yeah. it was still it still has to be translated by a director yeah and and it, and and there is like we said there's some really really beautiful scenes um but it's you got to watch the whole thing and it is kind of a a grueling thing to get through the whole movie <laughs> yeah but if you can commit the two hours to the payoff of yeah. the moment when he's on that rooftop and those mustangs come oh in, man those are incredible that's just one of those moments like like in uh lord of the rings 2 when when the the, the sun rises and and the riders of rohan come up over the yeah and they come riding down those those, those rare moments in cinema where it's just it just peaks and you're and you are reminded of, of what film is capable of, you know, those absolutely giant moments that just move you completely. You know, yeah. it's yeah. That's just huge. Huge, I tell you. Huge. And, and on that note, uh huge moving moments of cinema. I want to mention uh this letter I got here from corporate. Oh boy. Yeah, it's uh the next being delivered. The next I mean, movie we're gonna watch being delivered to me now i can't wait i can't wait to hear what this is gonna be on paper Uh i don't know why it's always i know it's digital for you and it's paper for me they're all about they're about about analog for me i think they're punishing me mind games mind games yeah well um this one uh i can't read the year on it (laughs) okay Uh, but it's uh it's directed by well, it says Blade Two. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> really? We're, we're not going the, from not the it, first it, Blade. Blade nope, Two. We're skipping, we're skipping the first Blade. We're okay. going straight to Blade Two. Uh, okay. <laughs> for whatever reason, corporate is uh, 
They are the wise ones here. Wait, are you sure, you sure you're reading that correctly? I'm reading it. It says Guillermo del Toro presents, uh-huh. which I didn't, I didn't realize he was the director on that. So I did not know that either until just now. Maybe that has something to do with it. It might. Maybe it, maybe it was one of the most undersung uh, films of all time. Maybe, of, all, maybe, of all time, you maybe think? Maybe that has something to do with it. So we're going okay. from Empire of the Sun, mm-hmm. Spielberg, uh, John Williams, Tom Stoppard, uh, to Blade 2. <laughs> okay. Shoot 'em up monster flick. Yeah. Not, not a vampire film. That was the major criticism. It was not a vampire movie. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Wait, a vampire. Yeah, movie. the first one was absolutely a vampire movie. Yeah, and, and the second one was not. You know, maybe I never saw the. Uh, did I see? I don't know if I saw Blade Two. Well, you're gonna. I guess I'm gonna. I have yeah. to now. I mean, corporate yeah. you says may we're watching even it. Want to watch the first one just to brush up? You know, I I think I do. I think I do have to watch the first one. I and, remember you know, liking the first one so much, way more than I probably should have. I agree with you so much. In fact, I have a confession. Uh huh. Uh, there are only three movies in my life that I've ever watched all the way through, mm-hmm. immediately started them over and just and watched them again. Okay. Immediately. Yes. And and that is um, Blues Brothers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Fight Club. Yep. And uh, and Blade. Wow. And because uh, Blade is just so cool and so fun, like the character Blade. Yes, is is probably the coolest character, uh, uh, second only to Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. But okay. he, he's he's bad in the sense that he actually has the skills and the and the ability to affect change on his own. He doesn't just catalyze change like Jack Burton does. But sure, he, he oh, has. He, the he is a whirlwind of change. Yes, he is a <laughs> whirlwind of getting stuff done. Himself. Yeah, that's right. And uh, but he says things like you know. Well, I don't even want to say it. Just because I'll, <laughs> well, I'll we'll, have to, we'll have so, to talk about it in the next uh Just the, the quotes he gets. I know. The, there's there's a ton of quotes. The whole next episode might just be us quoting uh, Blade and Blade 2. Blade and Blade 2. Yeah. Nice. So we'll take All right. So, this is going to be fun. This is yeah, cool. Fun. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. That's a good one. The corporate did, did well there. All it right. did well. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap things up. Um, if you uh if you like like we always say if you want to help uh, help us out you can go to iTunes you can leave us a review there uh which helps people find the show and uh and if you want to be like uh, an awesome person like Clint Grimion or Brett Copes you could go to our Patreon uh page and you can uh donate to help us pay the bills. Uh if you got questions about the movie that we just watched or the movie that's coming up uh or just other things you want to talk to us about you can go to the Facebook page and uh, just put a comment on there. Or you can go to our website at sixfingeredmovieshow.com and go to the feedback page. That's right. Join the conversation. We'll be posting stuff about various uh, movies, current or previous, and yeah. just jump jump in, talk. Yeah. We we do sometimes like just to, we, you know, you and I will find stuff online and we'll go, hey, this is cool about a cool new movie or whatever, and we'll post it there and, and uh, people talk about it. And we have fun. So. You bet. Um, Jack, anything coming up that you want to plug? Halloween is cool. Halloween is very cool. And I think everyone should observe it this year. 
<laughs> as opposed to all the other years where they just yeah. don't do anything. You might have missed it last year. Uh, this year, have a really good look at it and um, and go trick-or-treating, mm-hmm. even if you're too old. But be safe. But be safe, you know? <laughs> That's right. Wear those glow yep. stick things. Wait. <laughs> and, and, and rave. Go ahead. You know? In the, in well, the spirit of, nice. Of yeah. You can go trick or treating and then go to a rave. You can keep using the glow sticks. That's a tip for all you uh, out there. That's uh, right. We that's just, a life we hack. Just, we just hacked your Halloween. That's right. You can, <laughs> can concurrently or consecutively, right. you can trick or treat yep. and or rave. Mm-hmm. Done. That's the Kyle and Dagger hack of the night. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And uh, yeah, so people can go to uh, jackdagger.com and they can go to find you on Facebook at Jack Dagger. And yep. uh, what else? On Twitter, you're Jack Dagger. You're, you're Jack Dagger everywhere. And on Instagram, Jack Dagger. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I'm really and, pushing towards Instagram because I got capped on uh Facebook. Yeah, to hell with those guys, man. Yeah. What's they up can't with- tell me how many contacts I can no. and cannot have. Uh uh-uh. uh. Forget them. Forget them. So I'm pushing for Instagram. <laughs> Instagram's cool. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm Kyle Albert 95 on Twitter. I think that's my handle on Instagram too. I never tell people where to go find me. I think I'm Kyle Albert 95 on Instagram too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you can find me there. And uh, so I think that's about it. So we'll wrap it up and we'll see you all next time. So say goodbye, Jack. Goodbye, Jack. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, all right. Here we go. I just, I just cleared my throat one last time. <sighs> <sighs> that was a weird pre-recording uh, thing to do. I feel, feel a little uncomfortable, a little turned on. Now I got to change my underwear. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go, indeed. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, uh. All right. Three, two, one.